I think one thing that often like separates me from a room is that I'm half black, that I have brown skin. And so sometimes I walk in and I say, I'm the only brown person here. And that can really make me feel singled out, but it can also result in people saying, wow, your skin is so beautiful and why your hair is so beautiful and like really wanting to build me up from that way. And I I think for a long time, um, that external validation was really affirming to me. Um, as far as starting to turn that more inwards and in, like the past like three or four years really needing to be sure that like that confidence was like really instilled in me, I think came from wanting to recognize why I was giving that acceptance to other people because I would want other people to be nice to the people that I love most and can I also be someone that I love most. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. If all of these conversations about body image have taught us anything, it's that we all have blind spots and we all have more effect on each other than we think. In this episode, I'm digging into how our different communities affect our body image. What are we missing about other communities when we all have limited experience? And most importantly, how can we make it better for everyone? In this episode, we're acknowledging that a community includes two different kinds of definitions. Number one, the people we hang out with and live with. And number two, the media we all consume. And that connects us as a community with shared stories and images as well. I mean, we see the same movies and TV shows, and it makes us feel as if we're living in the same community. The stories you're going to hear today are from friends and specifically people of color from my community. We have a lot in common. We work in the film industry, we're artists and content creators, and we even grew up in very similar neighborhoods and surroundings. They're going to share some of their journeys with body image, including the aspects that are outside of my experience. I've also brought in an expert, Dr. Gigi Awad, a renowned researcher, professor, and thought leader who specializes in the psychology of body image and the specific challenges facing people of color today. But first, let me introduce you to Bryson and Rachel. My name is Rachel Osler. I am a mixed photographer from Utah. Um, I'm also uh, a mom, but to a cat named Marshmallow. Marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, Marsha for fun. short. It's fun. And? Bryson Alejandro. I'm a father of three. I am Latino. And uh, I'm also a party pooper. Oh, you are. I know. People don't think that, yeah, but I, I am. Yeah, I don't see that at all. Yeah. This is going to be, uh, I've got to get to know why. Oh, yeah. ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> And like a lot of interviews that we've had this season, I asked them about their body image. I, I feel like for me, as as an adolescent male, I was very self-conscious about like how thin I was. And like there's like this ideal of like, oh, I need to be stronger or I need to be buffer or more chiseled or toned or whatever. Um, but I didn't do anything about it. Like I didn't go to gym. But I also was like very self-conscious because it's like, oh, like well, no girls are going to like me, you know, because that matters in middle and high school. But then, yeah, and so like I was just very self-conscious of like ever showing like too much arm because they're so th they were so thin, or like even going to, like swimming, I'd like didn't like to mm. because I didn't want anyone to see how thin I was. And then later on, like in my later adolescence or young adulthood, I was less concerned about like how thin my arms were 
or how thin I was, and more so about my my trunk, my torso, and my back. Like I have a lot of back knee scars or like acne scars all over, and so I was like very self conscious of that. So I was like, oh, I can't show anyone that. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, and I don't want them to be like, ew, hideous. So I didn't ever like to go swimming. I never like took off my shirt because never, never, and if yeah, never. I just avoided going swimming. If you've been following along in our book club, you might be nodding your head right now. And this strikes me again because beauty standards have given women all of these bullet point items to critique their bodies and keep them from enjoying an activity like swimming out of shame or embarrassment. And what Bryson is describing is completely different from the standards Casey and I were thinking about when we reflected on swimsuit anxiety. But the result is exactly the same. I was in gym class and it was like at the end of my seventh grade year and I had like made some friends and we were all sitting by each other on the floor. And I remember making a comment about how I had like stomach rolls as I was sitting over and one of my friends had made a comment of, that is literally just your stomach. Why are you saying that about yourself? And that was one of the first times that I was like, look how quickly I felt like this was the best way to connect with the girls around me was to like make a comment about my body because then wow. someone else would make a comment about their body and like that's how we were bonding. And so um, I feel like that was one of the first times that I was like, oh my gosh, starting to catch myself of like, maybe this isn't like the most like normal way to be talking about my body um, and having to question that and ebbs and flows, of course, throughout time. But <laughs> that's... Yeah, that happened. (laughs) This was a cool conversation, and it's about to get even cooler. But I wanted to set the stage a little bit. Dr. Chichi Awad has done extensive research on body image and especially its impact on people of color. I asked her what role community plays in someone's perception of themselves or their body, and she had a really insightful answer. Um, I think it's a huge contributing factor to how a person feels about themselves, right? So in the research, there's this construct called racial socialization and cultural socialization. And um, specifically, it's the messaging about kind of how to even conduct yourself as a person of a particular background in a given space. Well, part of those conversations also involve what is considered beautiful and what is the proper way to present yourself. And these are the constant messages that kids get from parents and relatives and peers and and everyone around them. And it's it's a huge part. So your community and family really shape how you think about yourself and what is considered mm-hmm. beautiful and what where your attention should be focused on when we talk about beauty and body image concerns. So it's a it's a, a, a very significant factor. And for women of color, that doesn't necessarily look the same as it does for white women. And it also varies by cultural group that you're talking about. In one of my studies with me and a team of my, at the time, Black women graduate students did a study about, well, what are the body image concerns for Black women specifically? And hair concerns ended up being the number one concern that was listed, not body size, not skin tone, not these other things that you would think. And when there are concerns about body image, it isn't about the body size, but it is more about you know, hair issues related to finding someone to properly go to to care for hair, you know, having the money involved to take care of hair, um, dealing with issues that of biases against natural hair styles. This was actually an issue that Dr. Awad brought up, and Rachel, without knowing what we had talked about, brought it up as well. 
I think for a lot of people, the pandemic caused you to like sit in a lot of moments that were uncomfy. I think especially as a Black person, did we definitely feel a lot of heightened racial tension at that time. And growing up in Utah, I, I'm adopted as well. So a majority of my family is white. A majority of my friends are white. Most of the people in my circle are white. And so I feel like... Um, kind of shallowed what I thought of my blackness past my general appearance. And so really needing to turn inwards at that time and saying like, I'm a black person. I really am a black person. And, and it kind of highlighted for me the amount of people who were ready to see me as a black person and not in a, in a positive light and where I was maybe dimming myself or trying to continue to assimilate to prevent those interactions from coming to me. Um, and one of those was definitely straightening my hair of like the straighter that it is, the more that I can wear hairstyles that are centered around, well, I guess more widely used by white women um, or people with straight hair and feeling like that was going to be easier and that I was going to have less people calling me out. And I also have lighter skin. And so just being able to fit in a little bit more. And so I think moments of having to check where I wasn't fully embracing my blackness or the way that my body naturally is to fit into certain stereotypes or to avoid certain interactions or, um, yeah, just trying to look at my motivations there. Why am I straightening my hair every day? And it was to try and make that easier and to try and fit in versus um, really embracing the blackness in me, which is so much of my hair. a part of my conversation with Dr. Gigi Awad about what she had to say about the specific body image concerns for women of color and how it affects other communities. One of the things that is an interesting and, and I think, you know, somber fund finding is that for communities of color, some of the beauty ideals and body image ideals are really about what we would say approximating Eurocentric beauty standards, mm -hmm. right? In some way, either, you know, preferencing lighter skin or preferencing hairstyles that are represented more in kind of European American, you know, population. So I saw that like there's a really a role of colonialism in, in a lot of ways in, in communities of color about what is considered beautiful. And there's also kind of this rival thing of the strive for thinness or the thin ideal and that communities or, or individuals within communities vary in regards to how much they strive for thinness. And that striving for thinness also predicts a lot of negative views about um, body image and can, you know, also predict eating disorders and other disordered kind of attitudes if it doesn't rise mm -hmm. clinically to eating disorders, but just sort of the way we think about things. So commonalities, I mean, we we tend to see even in communities in which a lot of the research isn't about them, the context in which you're placed in still has an impact on how you see yourself, even if it's not, or number one reason you're, you have sort of feelings, but everything seeps through. All of us are in some way acted upon by these pressures that we may or may not be cognizant of. It's uncomfortable to think about colonialism as being alive and well in beauty standards, and especially where it's being disguised as body positivity. In More Than a Body, we read about how the same companies pushing self-tanning products in the United States, encouraging girls to have a healthy bronze glow, are marketing skin bleach and fairness 
everywhere else in the world. Those companies might be adding more diversity to their advertising, which is a good thing, but it's kind of a performance when the actual messaging to billions of people worldwide is saying the color of your skin or the texture of your hair doesn't meet this Eurocentric beauty standard. Another sinister example of this is right on our phones. Here's Rachel's perspective. I mean, on TikTok, actually, and something that I hasn't been like a huge moment for me, but my, my friend pointed out is that when you go to make a video, it automatically puts on a filter as like a suggestion of what you should use. It says like, hey, this filter's trending and it may be like a fun game or like a fun like light that pops up. But sometimes it is a makeup filter where I I'll be like, that. and then I take it off and I'm like, oh, my nose got wider and my skin got darker and I didn't have eyelashes as soon as that filter came off. And then it's moments of like, then... What if someone like puts that on and is like, oh, I look cute. And then they take it off and they're like, oh, that's what I look like. Um, yeah. And, and messing yeah. with your perceptions of reality. Totally. Yeah. It because can be sometimes rough. they're so good. When I look, I don't know. Right. I can't tell if it's a filter or not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't like filters because it always lightens my skin. Yeah. yeah aren't you offended by that? I am. I'm like, yeah. what? I was like, like no. Because yeah. I'm like proud of my skin. And like, I'm not, I mean, I, my skin tone is like more like, a, a darker olive skin tone, but like, yeah, and I'm like, I, I oft, I feel like as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be browner, mm-hmm. which is abnormal because oftentimes, like with within my family, and I think talking to like other people of color too, like their experiences, they always want to be lighter, um, but for some reason, I don't know why I always wanted to be browner, and uh, and so yeah, so I get super offended when I'm like, why is why am I Mm-hmm. Why are these filters light? So I mean, or even like as as an actor on set, I have to be very intentional talking to like the hair and makeup person I'm sure. because I the lights whitewash me out, and then if they're using like certain makeup and like uh, mixing cer- cer- mixing certain colors that lighten me, then it's going to lighten me even further. And so I'm like, hey, the lights really wash me out. Like, is there any way you can maintain my skin tone just or like be aware mm-hmm. that like I get lightened up and like. And it does, I mean, I, st- I have to start doing that because I, I see a lot of final products and I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, what? That's not what I look mm-hmm. like, but like I'm lighter. Yeah. And like part of it too is like in post-production, like there's color correction. And I'm like, did they color me lighter on purpose <laughs> or or was it all the hair and makeup person or like who, who where, where, where did who, this go wrong? Yeah, who, who lightened me or was it all of them? All, every, mm-hmm. every stage, did I get lighter, lighter, lighter? I don't know. And like, yeah. I think that's a, lo- a, a big problem for a lot of people of color with varying skin tones mm-hmm. is like, yeah, like how how light reflects off of our bodies and like how um yeah just that that the struggle of like maintaining your accurate skin tone um everywhere it feels like they're we're being lightened wow which is like fascinating and awful totally. interesting like huh yeah. why yeah. this is who you are yeah Whether it's a filter on Instagram or the heavy editing that can go into a post-production for a film, these altered images have an impact. And Dr. Awad talked about this. We have studies, uh, many studies, that we find a a pretty consistent finding, and that is girls and women, actually boys and men as well, that see idealized images um, of themselves that may be difficult to attain themselves, you know, it makes them feel worse about themselves after they view these images. And this has been measured a, a million different ways. <laughs> you know, uh, it could be just like mood, it could be self-esteem, but we see over and over that the more exposure girls 
and women have to idealized media images, the worse they feel about themselves. This is especially true for women who uh, may be bigger, for women who um, are not part of like what we would say mainstream culture in some way. And this is pretty consistent finding. What makes it actually even more serious is that the images that they see are not even real. Yeah. They're doctored images, right? And so then this brings up an issue of media literacy. How do we teach girls and boys about Photoshopping and all of the digital alterations that happen in the media to be able to consume these images in a way that is actually accurate? And most of the time, that's unknown. That's a huge blind spot. People are don't, are not even aware that most of the things they see are not even real people. I asked Dr. Awad what other blind spots we're likely to have, either in our media literacy or just in our communities. Can you imagine for a moment if your child was written up at school or at their job because of their hairstyle and it was considered inappropriate and that their hairstyle was actually their natural hair? I mean, this is sadly still happening and it's going to take all of us working to be a little more aware of those underlying biases about appearance to counteract that. We talked a little bit about professionalism because everyone's definition of professional or appropriate is a little different. And unfortunately, this is an area where Eurocentric beauty standards may be influencing what we think, leading to policies or attitudes that make the workplace or even schools less welcoming for people of color. I would argue that's why it's really important for policies in the workplace to be very explicit about the standards for professionalism and what that means. And when something like, oh, well, you need to wear your hair straight or you need to wear a skirt, whatever, that you know, that's a certain length. When that comes in, that really needs to be interrogated a little bit more. Why? What makes that professional or unprofessional? What is the practical reason that is related to a work outcome that I need to do this? And to truly have policies that are only about improving outcomes related to your work, whatever results, right? And so I think having things that are not focused on the purpose of what you're supposed to be doing at work is a problem, right? And then that's where these unspoken norms of beauty and standards come in that are problematic. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, you know, when this happens, this doesn't just start in the workplace. This is also like parents talking to their kids. These are friends talking to one another. I uh, recently changed institutions and I was going on an interview here at my current institution at the University of Michigan. And my cousin, you know, before I went on the, the interview, she's like, don't wear your hair curly. That is not professional. You need to understand that. You need to go and get your hair done, straighten it out because this is a job interview. And I started laughing. I said, listen, I'm a full professor. (laughs) Also, do you know what I do for a living? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I talk about? Like, this is so ironic, but go on. Yeah. yeah. I was like, so I want you to tell me what about my curly hair is not going to make it me able to do my job. What is that going to communicate to the people I talk to? And she couldn't really like answer, but because what she learned was like, oh no, straight hair is professional, curly hair is not. And unfortunately, 
you know, and this is across all cultures, <laughs> girls who have curly hair, you know, like this is, you know, a common message like, oh, curly haired girls are wild and it's not professional and you need to, you know, <laughs> And I was like, well, I wish I was more wild than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my it. hair is advertising something that uh, my personality <laughs> is not delivering right now, but it was a yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> Challenging those harmful ideas is one way we can embrace who we are and make our spaces safer for everyone. Rachel mentioned earlier that during the pandemic, she began to change the way she had previously interpreted her own identity as a Black woman. And she started to change how she treated and styled her hair. I asked her what it was like when she began to wear her hair natural for the first time. It was really hard at first. I think just moments that I didn't know how to do it (laughs) for a really long time and still days where I'm like results are going to be different every single day. Um, We're still on a learning curve, but um, moments where my hair was a lot bigger. And so I just was like, who's looking at me and like, who notices and was like getting positive comments, but also just that attention when you're feeling self-conscious and it's even like small moments of like wearing a different lipstick out that you're like, who is staring (laughs) at me? Um, That you just feel a little bit more heightened sensitivity to that. But still, still a journey. I actually just watched um, a series on Hulu um, called Hair Tales, and it's interviews with Tracy Ellis Ross, but she interviews a lot of different Black women about their hair journeys as well. And even that, I mean, just in the past, like, three months was moments where I was like, oh, my gosh, I still am playing small with, like, how much I can continue to explore that and own that and allow it to be something that I feel really confident in. You know, so much of our experiences are different, but when you said playing small, ooh, haven't we all felt like a moment where you feel like you were yeah, toning yourself down, whether that's with your body or what you say totally. or how you show up yeah. in the world to make other people comfortable at the expense of your identity? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone, I think that's a human experience. I've never really thought of it that way. My hair was also really damaged because I had been putting so much heat on it for so long that I feel like even after, what, two and a half years of trying to be more careful with it, um, are my curls starting to repair enough that they're consistently, like, nice and keeping their natural curl pattern versus um, half of the strand being limp and um, losing its curl because it's had so much damage on it. And so I, de- I feel like definitely something that has asked me to step out and care less what other people think and also realize that people don't care as much as I think. <laughs> um, still on that journey, but uh, a lot of progress there for sure. This story is a testament to me of why we need media that tells diverse stories and honors the way our appearance is a part of us and our identity. Bryson shares his own experience of what it meant to him when he started to see his own features represented on screen. I love seeing like reaction videos of people seeing like themselves on screen or like represented somewhere. Oh, uh, like on social media and things yeah, like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's there's two two moments that come to mind. One, uh, and I guess it's both with like the Black Panther movies, which are I think mm-hmm. are beautiful and lovely. But the first one, uh, when it first came out, like in the poster was revealed, there's there's this video 
of these black people reacting and just seeing the joy and celebration, like being like, oh my goodness, what? Like this, like this is what you all have had for so long. And like, I would love, I would love this country too, for example, like, because Mm -hmm. like you have these heroes and uh, they're all often white men. And then finally there's this black hero, this protagonist and this story that's just like full of culture and color and just beauty and it's like amazing and then with this most recent one Wakanda Forever um, what I absolutely loved and for me it's like I've never 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 seen my culture as a Latino represented on screen in a in such a way in, mm-hmm. with so much money behind it and mm-hmm. like the the antagonist um, uh, I wouldn't call him a villain because I don't think he's a villain the, the mm-hmm. antagonist he to, to the to protagonist he's an indigenous man from uh from like Central America and that's where mm-hmm. his ancestry and his roots are and I'm like wait how come I've never seen this culture ever on screen and I like looked it up and there's like literally a handful like five to eight films that ever depict like Mayans or Aztecs and their culture and like only one of them I've heard of and the rest I'm like oh what's this but like mm-hmm. it was like such a beautiful moment to like see my culture and to see my people on screen and to like see the the producers and the directors and the creators not shy away from like the the skin tones like the darker mm-hmm. skin tones and like the facial structures and it's just like mm-hmm. it's like it's like it I don't know it's just like it just does so much for me and I'm sure it does so much for other people to to see that to see these bodies that their own bodies like represented on screen and it's and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it like takes me back to like again uh my adolescence where um where I like didn't like my profile for some reason like mm. I always was like no don't look at my profile like I like when I saw pictures of my profile I was like ew no gross uh and I'm like, why is that? And like now that as an adult, like reflecting back, I was like, oh, it's because my profile does have like some indigenous features to it that like compared to my peers who were mostly, um, I, I was raised in the mostly white spaces and white circles. Um, it's like I didn't have those same features as them. And so like now I'm like, oh, is that why I didn't like my profile? Whereas now I'm like, I love it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I prefer my profile. I'm like, you're taking a picture of me? Get my profile, not the front. Because like you get to- <laughs> Get s- my good side. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and you get to like see, the, or at least I get to see it and I like it makes me proud and excited. And it's interesting because like my brother, uh, who is a senior in high school, he complains all the time about like his nose and like mm-hmm. his profile. And I'm like, oh, same thing. It's just like me. But like- and and it's and I think it's because yeah he's like in a high school that's like m- mostly uh, white people and he's like the only person of color in his and friend group. And you're like, group. listen, let me save you a lot of time. Yes, right. and, and it's a like, lot no, of heartache. It's like you. It's like you're, you're gonna love this. Yes, your nose, your profile, your face is like it's beautiful. It's amazing. And then like being able to like see his face or facial features like represented on screen or represented elsewhere it's like no yes like you belong you are beautiful your body is beautiful and your body is like meant to be celebrated and it's like be confident in that like accept it embrace yourself yeah and uh as i've been learning to do that for myself it's again it's like it's liberating it's exciting it like i have more joy and it's like it's it's awesome I love this experience, that joy, that self-love. 
In this context, it's almost impossible to separate media from our general surroundings. The messages that we accept and share and promote, from what we post online, to what we stream on Hulu, to full-length box office films, I mean, all the media we create and consume forms a part of who we are and the environment that is our culture. This experience is heavily backed up by research, according to Dr. Awad. Well, I think the number one thing is media representation. Who do we see in, you know, mainstream television shows or streaming? Who gets represented? If a person from a certain group is represented, how do they look? Are they approximating these very restrictive ranges of what we think is appropriate for people who are in, for example, the media to look like, right? So, for example, like even with women of color, you tend to see that they have straighter hairstyles, that they are thinner, that they have lighter skin, you know, so that there's only usually a subset of even women of color, or women generally across all groups that are, you know, deemed appropriate for like visual consumption by, you know, in whatever arena that they're in. And this is unfortunately, I I would say a common issue. It's getting much better. I think, you know, there are a lot of spaces in which representation is improving, not only in terms of culture and, and race, but also, you know, when we think about disability and different underrepresented groups, I mean, I do think it is certainly improved, but that continually is a persistent issue, just representation in general. And I use media, but it's really across the board. This conversation about representation in media was a small piece of our outline when we originally mapped out this episode. But having conversations like these made it clear what an important role it plays. Like Dr. Awad said, representation is an issue that goes deeper than media. But what we see in the media says a lot about what bodies we accept and consider appropriate. And it reveals ways that all of our spaces can improve. When our art celebrates the value in diversity, it reflects something deeper about us that our society needs so much more of. Bryson echoed Dr. Awad that we can contribute to make things better for everyone. Here's what he said. I think a lot of it comes, for me, comes down to like representation Mm -hmm. and being able to see ourselves out there whether it's like in books or whether it's in movies or whether um, it's, you know, like wherever it is, I feel like representation is so crucial and so essential. And I know like the world is like talking more about it and there's progress that's been made, Mm -hmm. but we're still so, so far behind. Um, And I think being able to like see more black and brown bodies on screen Uh, that are acting or stories that are being told about them or like artists that are singers that are like that. I'm like, huh? Like, for example, like uh, Lizzo, for example, she's a very Mm -hmm. popular artist right now. And she's a a very, uh, she's a plus size woman. And like, you never saw that before, but look at her. She's like so confident in herself, in her body. And she's like singing and just like making a difference and like bringing joy to people. And I'm like, that's awesome. And be bringing joy to everyone. Yes. It's not this sort of, I, I think that a lot of times there's this fear and representation. Well, what about me? Right? And as if there's not enough pieces of the pie. And the benefits that I have seen from representation don't take away from others. And I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would like to hear from your perspective about the value of representation for maybe some people who feel like it's not going to really get to the heart of the problem. What do you think? 
I think that it's a lot easier to believe that you are worthy of good things when you see people like you having good things. And it's really easy to believe that you don't deserve those good things when you never see them coming to you. So being able to have love stories and books and songs about brown and black bodies to say you deserve this goodness, you deserve this happiness. There is a lot of systemic racism and general discrimination that brown and black people experience every single day that can definitely lead you to believe that like that's the standard of treatment that you believe that you should accept. Um, so having, say, a fat black woman like Lizzo stand up and say like, no, actually you deserve to love yourself and you deserve to feel good every day and you deserve to feel happy is a clear signal and a clear proof that like, oh wait, I do deserve that and people like me can have that. I think it's pretty clear that idealized versions of one type of body is damaging to everyone. But I hadn't fully considered that it would be connected, not just to how you feel about your body, but what you can dream about and where you find your inner worth. I I don't know what it's like to not see someone who looks like me on TV. I've never had that experience as a white woman. So during this conversation, I got a little emotional thinking of a little kid who wouldn't know how to express the thought of, oh, I guess I'm excluded from certain kind of dreams or certain kind of ideas in life because they never see themselves or anyone like them on screen as they're forming their identities. So I really appreciated Rachel's perspective on why this matters so much to all of us. And I love how she ends her thoughts with such a universal truth. Happy people make people happy. <laughs> I mean, the more... <laughs> I really like that. Right? It's so true. Yeah, the more that we can, I mean, even just us talking earlier about like how quickly it's easy to jump into negative thought patterns when someone around mm-hmm. you says, here's something that I don't like about my body. And so... You know, if you see someone who may struggle with, you know, insecurities that you have loving yourself, it makes it so much easier to love yourself. Loving yourself is the whole goal of this series or this effort to love our bodies more and better. And we can't do this alone. When one more person loves their body, it's better for the whole community. It's worth the whole community coming together to make a space safer if it makes it easier for one more person to love themselves. What we want for ourselves and for each other is this kind of experience, what Bryson is describing. I think maybe the fatherhoodness of it all is maybe why a lot of it has changed for me personally. Like I'm less yeah. self-conscious going swimming because it's like, well, what, it, it was like holding me back. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't, well, I don't want to go swimming. It's like, why not? It's a fun family activity. It's like, oh, I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable because of all my acne scars on my back and my and my front. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> I have like this distinct memory as like a, a 16-year-old being with friends and there's this pool and everyone's having fun and I like stayed inside. Oh, and it's like, mm-hmm. and I, I think and about that. remember that. I remember that. It's like wow. so distinct. It's like, oh, yeah. I could have had fun, but I was literally... A, a loser, well, not a real, well, I wasn't a loser, but like here I am <laughs> in the kitchen talking to the parents of the house <laughs> instead of That's like so hanging out with all the people in the pool and having fun. Wow. So yeah. like it's, it's, it really is like a cool transformation to know that like, yes, for like, for my kids, but also for myself, it's like, yeah, like why not? Let's go swimming. Let's not care. I don't care yeah. what people, other, other people Your kids think. don't care. Yeah, my kids yeah. don't care. And it's like, and it, and it, and I'm lo- missing these like opportunities to like connect with my family, to have fun with my family, to make memories with my family. And so I'm like, oh yeah, 
So like this last summer, I think was like the first time that I like went swimming and I didn't care, Aww. and I didn't even wear like wow. a ta- I didn't even wear like Congrats. a tank top. I like just like ripped my shirt off, and I was like, "Let's go this into is what the water." Freedom looks like. Yeah, and yeah. it was like it was it was so liberating. Wow. All communities, the one we live in and our global community that we're connected to more and more because of our shared media and entertainment, will benefit when individuals in those communities feel good about themselves. We all win. In my conversations with people of different races, locations, ages, backgrounds, it's clear that we all struggle with body image. But it's also clear that when we create healthier body images for ourselves, it has a cumulative power to help others. Sharing our struggles, even if they're different, also helps us support each other in real ways. That power of community is an underutilized way to improve our body image individually and then hopefully collectively. What Rachel said about this idea of body love has really stayed with me. So I want to end this episode with what she had to say. The more kindness and goodness I think yeah, that we can all feel isn't going to limit anyone else from feeling that versus if we can all judge ourselves a little bit less, we're probably judging everyone else a little bit less and then we can all just move a little bit easier. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with help from Tabitha Freitas. Music and post-production was done by Josh Fouts and Sam Clausen. If you like the show, leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and to join the Lisa Show listener community on Facebook so you can get a behind-the-scenes look at the show, as well as stay up-to-date with Lisa's book club.